Good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Right? Good? Good? <laughs> All right. Uh, it's supposed to be warm today. I wore flip-flops kind of in good faith, thinking that, uh, Lord, you're going to come through. Um, it's going to be in the 70s, which I'm looking forward to. Okay, so before we get started today, we have not a lot to cover. We're actually going to do half of chapter 11. We're not going to do all of chapter 11. But even though we're going to read not that much, we're going to talk about quite a bit today, and, and some of it's relatively sensitive. If you're new to the church, what we do is we go through whole books of the Bible. We happen to be going through a very interesting and provocative book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians. And um, what, this, what this letter is about, it wasn't uh, written uh, to, to be a book, it was written as a letter, written from a guy named Paul to a church in southern Greece. And what was going on is this group of believers, people who professed to follow Jesus, they were prosperous, they had freedom, um, they had access to the Word of God, they had access to good leadership, they had access to God Himself, they knew of that accessibility of God. The problem was is that these people who knew better were starting to turn, this is so important, turn back and put their comfort and their hope in their culture more than they did the truth of the Word of God and following Jesus. We see this happening in the United States right now, and every single week, I talk about the book of 1 Corinthians is so provocative right now because it is so relevant. When we read this book of the Bible, and again, guys, especially today, um, it's amazing how relevant it is to our culture and our society today. The reason I'm telling you all this, I say this every single week, but the reason why I wanna kinda emphasize that this week is what we're gonna talk about today, oddly enough, is kind of a hot button issue. We're gonna talk a lot about gender and masculinity and femininity and what this means in the Bible, and this is a big topic of conversation in our culture right now. And so if you're in here for the first time, um, I'm not grinding an ax today. I'm not trying to cherry pick different things to, to pick on or, or discuss. This is what the Bible brings up, therefore we, we talk about those things. Um, so if it's your first time here, I, I just wanna say that to you. If you've been here for a while, I wanna remind you of this. As we get into some stuff that may be sensitive today, I just wanna remind all the people in our church, and if you're new, I wanna tell you maybe for the first time, this is a place that allows anyone who walks through those doors to come in, sit down, to be treated with respect and dignity and hear the gospel. Whether we agree with how they live or disagree with how they live, this is a place where people are treated like people and we love them and respect them in the hopes that they will accept the gospel and build a relationship with Jesus. So some of the things we talk about today, if it, you, know, you get a little fired up and yeah, get them, we don't get fired up so we can go post something argumentative on Facebook and start a fight with someone. That's not why we do that. We're here to love people, right? We're also here to hold on to the truth. And so we have to do both of these things. And that's what we hope to kind of walk out a little bit this morning. If you haven't been here, chapter 10 that we talked about last week ended with something interesting. There's been this conversation that Paul has been having that, that sometimes we exercise our freedoms as Christians and we enjoy them and we live in them. And then he says, other times we lay down freedoms for the sake of others. Chapter 10 ends though, Paul says, whether you're enjoying your freedoms or whether you're laying down your freedoms, he says, do everything for the glory of God, right? So we talked about in our work, in our, you know, if we're students, if we're husbands, wives, friends, if we're doing our leisure activities, whatever we do, we are to do it in a way that honors God and blesses other people. That's what we talked about last week. This week, we will continue the conversation a little bit about sacrifice, a little bit about being um, considerate of others. Those things will come in. But here's kind of our thesis of today. And it is our attempt to make a God in our image, in our society, is failing. It is not working, right? The more we try to fashion ourselves as a God, or the more we try to create some kind of twisted version of Jesus or God that kind of fits my comforts and our culture, it is not working. We are imploding upon ourselves, right? Because our priorities are not in the right order. And that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit this morning, okay? So you should have received a notes handout when you walked in. Has everything I'm gonna say in there? Everything will be on the screens. If you have the Experience Community app, everything is on there. Just click on Sermon Notes and, and you got everything right in front of you. If you have a physical copy of the Bible, we're in chapter 11, we're only gonna do 16 verses today and we're right after the book of Romans. You have the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? 
so we should be in good shape. All right, everyone's good? Everyone's good? I'm the only one sweating? Okay, all right, it's fine. Let me pray and we'll jump into this. Father, Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for this church. Lord, I love this church. I, I, I love the men and women that come into this place. I thank you for them. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, as we read about you and your design and how we are to live in that design, God, I pray that it blesses us, Lord. We pray not only for our church, we pray for every church in our city. We pray, God, for all our, our other campuses and the churches in those cities. We pray that we can be the light and the salt of our area, God. And um, as we study your word, we pray that it, not only that it blesses us, we pray that it honors you, God. We love you. We thank you. We do all these things in your son's name, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. All right. This is Paul talking. Now, as I start chapter 11, verse 1 should have been in chapter 10. Um, but I'm going to start at verse 1, and then we'll, we'll roll into, into verse 11, or into chapter 11, okay? Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. So before any ladies start throwing tomatoes at me, we're going to explain all of this, okay? So when Paul opened up this part of his letter with some encouragement, he did that because he had been pounding on the church in Corinth pretty hard. So he opens up, he says, I praise you because the majority of you are doing what I'm telling you to do. But Paul was basically saying there's a, there's a huge group of you who are not doing what I'm telling you to do. But he opened up with some encouragement because he knew he's about to get back to, to a little bit of criticism, right? And, and correction, if you will. So he gets into this very odd issue. It is odd for us today because the culture back then was so vastly different than the culture we live in now. But what Paul was going to address was the relationship of how men and women function in the context of worship services, basically like what we're doing right now. Before he gets into this conversation about mutual respect in, in worship services between men and women, he reminds the church about headship or authority when it comes to men, when it comes to women, when it comes to God. The problem was this. Many of the Christians in the church in Corinth during this time were not showing proper respect to their spouse. And when they were not showing proper respect to their spouse, it was disrespectful to God. And Paul is going to talk about this within their cultural expectations, okay? Their culture was different from ours, but the underlying principles are going to be the same today. The issue that he was concerned about was women covering their heads during church services. So in Corinth, it was the cultural norm for women to wear a head covering to show modesty and to show respect and submission to their husband. Now, this is not a universal command, right? If you're a woman in here, you don't have to start like pulling up your shirt over your head. This is not a universal command to all Christian women at all times because our way of showing authority in our culture is vastly different than what theirs was. So this is why we see it's important to know some history. It's important to know some context. The point though is honoring authority properly within the culture you live in. So the bottom line is this, regardless of where we live on planet Earth, right, what kind of society we live in, Christian spouses sh should show mutual love to each other, mutual respect to each other, and mutual submission to each other. The Bible is big on respect, big on respect. So Paul cared about this issue of the head coverings. Basically, women were not wearing them in the church in Corinth, and they should have been. He was concerned about that because, one, he wanted to make sure that the church was, was upholding Scripture. And he wanted to make sure that as they worshiped together, that they were living in integrity, not just in church, but all around wherever they lived. The second thing is, he wanted to make sure that they were properly respecting each other. Both men and women were respecting each other, and when we respect each other, that, that honors God, okay? The third thing that he was concerned about, because listen, if you're in this room and you're married, 
marriage is the closest, closest example we have on earth of what our relationship with God should look like. And if that is the case, Paul was concerned that if men and women didn't respect, them, respect each other, the world sees this. And that's a bad example of Jesus to non-believers when married couples don't respect each other, right? This is very, very important. So he knew that the example to the outside world was also going to be tarnished if they didn't get a hold of this problem. So verse three, I have heard twisted and turned primarily by men for years now, right? Verse three describes all three forms of headship, that Christ is the head, that husbands are heads, and that God is ultimately the head. So what does this mean? And where do women fall into that? Well, first, the word head and headship can mean source or beginning. So when the Greeks would talk about the head of something, they would talk about the beginning of something, the source of something. So it, it doesn't take a genius to know mankind came from God. God was the source and come, came man, right? And then from man, according to the book of Genesis, we have woman. So there is this proper um, kind, of, kind of source, right? This order that things came about. Now, headship in there can also mean authority. Authority was given from God to Christ when, when Jesus was on earth. Christ gave authority to his disciples, to man, right? And then man gave authority to women. This is similar to the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians. And so where do we land on this? Well, we kind of land somewhere in the middle. And again, before anyone gets bent out of shape or walks out, the Bible will clarify more what he means. But we, as men and women, were to know where we came from. We're to know that we have unique and equally important roles we are called to honor those roles. We are called to live in balance. We are called to live in respect. We are called to live in love. And verse 11 and 12 will give us a lot more clarity on these roles and this balance and this mutual submission to each other. Okay, let's keep on rolling. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head because he is the image and the glory of God. So too, woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. In the Lord, however, this is important, Woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. I'll explain that, but that's very important in this. So here's, here, we're going we're gonna to start getting into a little bit more critique of male and female roles, okay? Paul first addresses the men, and Paul says, every man who prays, this is in a, in a setting like this, or prophesies with something on his head, dishonors his head. What does that mean? This is a direct um, um, conversation that Paul is having about their culture. In the Greek world, in the Roman world, there were hundreds and hundreds of cults that worshiped different false gods. And the majority of the men, when they would go into Greek temples or Roman temples, they would wear head coverings in these Greek temples and Roman temples. What Paul was saying is men live in a way that looks like you're living for Jesus and not for false gods because you are an example. This is, this is Paul calling men to live above reproach. So what Paul is saying to men is men, your wives are looking at you. Your children are looking at you. Society is looking at you. Live in a way that honors Jesus. This is a good thing for us to hear in this room. Live in a way that people see you and they know that you're not following false gods or idols. You're following Jesus Christ. 
That's what Paul is saying to men in that portion. And then he turns to the women. Now, this is interesting. He says, women, when you are praying and prophesying in a church setting, he says, make sure you have your head covering on. Now, let me pause here for a second. I've heard a lot of churches and a lot of, again, predominantly men say, women are not allowed to speak, lead, teach in the church. And they get that from 1 Timothy 2.12, where Paul says, I do not allow women to speak in church. Now, if he does not allow women to speak in all churches, not just the church in Ephesus that he was talking about in Timothy, why does he say to the church in Corinth, women, when you're speaking in church, make sure that you're doing it in a respectful way. I guess what we can deduce from that is that it was not a universal command that women don't speak in church. The reason why he said that to Timothy was there was a group of cults led by females in Ephesus, and those women were not ready when they became new Christians to be able to speak and lead in the church yet. So we have to know context. And when we don't, we take it out of context and we become misogynists, right? Or we, we, we say that women can't do things in the church and, and we take it way out of line. And obviously this shows us that women were doing pretty profound things in the church in Corinth. So because the women were visible, because they were exercising their spiritual gifts, they were to make sure that they were doing it in a way that honored their husband. What Paul was saying here is, women, if you are praying in front of the church, if you're prophesying in front of the church, but it looks like you're disrespecting your husband, people are gonna say, well, how can she pray in front of everyone when she doesn't even respect her own husband? So Paul is saying, follow the cultural norms. Be respectful of your spouse. So this is why knowing a little bit of history, knowing a little bit of culture matters. The point was less about what was on one's head, and it was more about the reputation of the church in society. And if you've ever been on a foreign mission trip, you understand what this means, right? So listen, I have no moral objection with smoking cigars, but if you go to Africa and you light up a cigar, no one is going to listen to you because they look at that as a very sinful action in Africa. And so when we go over to Africa, you don't smoke a cigar in Africa because you have, you have prohibited your means to witness to people and tell them about Jesus. If you go on one of our trips to El Salvador, we make all the women wear skirts because it's a cultural thing. If you're a woman, I have nothing wrong with women wearing pants. My, I have two daughters and a wife that wear pants. And when they go out, that's fine because culturally it's accepted here. It's not accepted in El Salvador. So all the women have to wear skirts because you have limited your opportunity to witness if you do not follow the cultural standards. This goes back to what we've been talking about. Do you have the right to wear pants if you're a woman? Yeah. Do you have the right to smoke a cigar when you're on another continent? Yeah. But if that prohibits your ability to, to minister to other people, we are being selfish and being selfish is wrong. And so sometimes we sacrifice freedoms for the sake of ministering to other people. We're going right back to what we've been talking about for months now. And then Paul talks about shaving your head. What in the heck is this all about? Well, this is another cultural example. In the Mediterranean world, if you looked at all the churches that were planted all around the Mediterranean Sea during Paul's times, in those areas, in those cities, if a woman committed adultery or if a woman was a prostitute, the way she was punished for adultery or prostitution was they would shave her head. So if you saw a woman with a shaved head in the early 50s, you know, 55, 56 AD, and their head was shaved, they either committed adultery or they're a prostitute, and that was disgraceful. So what Paul is saying is this, if you are publicly disrespecting your husband, you might as well be as disgraceful as an adulterer or a prostitute. You might as well shave your head. That's what he's saying. Because if you're, if you're disrespecting your husband, right, that's shameful. That's not the way that we're called to live. So he uses a cultural example there. So listen, though men are given a unique role of ultimately leading the family, we also need to make sure that we never diminish the role of women because we must remember that the attributes of God are displayed through both genders. If you go back to Genesis chapter one and two, when it says that God made mankind in his image, he made them male and female. 
That means both are equally important. If you remove all females, you do not get a perfect or you do not get a complete view of the attributes of God. It is only when we have both genders. If you remove males, you do not get a complete view, right, of the attributes of God because the attributes of God are displayed between both genders. So though both genders are equally important, listen, this is where we get down to the brass tacks. Men, there is a high calling and a biblical expectation of men to step up and lead. That's in worship, which means your spiritual life. Right now in the United States, 65% of all people who go to church are women. 35% of all people that go to church are men. In most churches, that even goes with serving. It's about 65% of all people who serve in church are women and about 35% of men. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Men, we are to lead spiritually. Your wife shouldn't have to drag you here. It shouldn't be your wife praying for your kids every single night. It shouldn't be your wife praying for your marriage all the time. You should be the one setting the pace spiritually. That is a biblical thing. So we are to lead spiritually. We're also to protect our spouses. This doesn't mean we get in bar fights all the time if you know, someone glances in your wife's general hemisphere, right? That's not what that means. <laughs> Shouldn't be at a bar anyways, but anyways. This means that we protect our wife. We protect them spiritually. We protect them emotionally. And yes, we may have to protect them physically. And that men are step up to lead when it comes to provision. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you have to make more money than your wife. It's not just monetary. I was, a, I was a teacher before my wife quit working. And the joke I always made was the only time I've ever made more money than my wife was when my wife quit working. And that's a true story. So it's not about that I have to make more than my wife, but I provide for her. I'm a contributor. I'm not lazy, right? I help with the dishes. I help do other things. I help, again, lift her up when she's down. I am a provider for her to the best of my ability. This is how men are called to lead. Let's go a little bit further with this. And I know men get really, really upset when we knock on men, but listen, in our society, we have earned it. One of the biggest reasons that our society is falling apart is because men are not living and leading the way that the Bible has called them to do it. And if you think that's just my personal opinion, fact check me. Go in right now and look at how many fatherless homes. 25% of every child in the United States has a fatherless situation. Listen, that doesn't mean just biological. They have no stepfather, no adopted father, no father figure in their life. Somewhere in the ballpark of 2 million kids live like this in the United States right now. This is a problem. This is a huge problem. And so what we have in our society is we have this toxic masculinity that thinks I can, I can slap this like head covering of respect on my wife when we as men have not done our job of, of being submissive with our duties and loving our wives and our children the way Christ loves us. And this is why society is falling apart. If you research it, one of the greatest reasons why children grow up poor, uneducated, aggressive, addicted is because of the lack of father in their life. That's not, a, that's not a Christian think tank that comes up with those stats. Those are secular institutions that come up with this. So I'll say it again. The breakdown of biblical manhood is, is a major, if not the major, cause in society falling apart. So what do we have to do? We have to step up as men. And this is one of the things Paul is encouraging. Why is this important? And this isn't just for men. This is for women as well. Not only has biblical manhood been compromised in our culture, biblical womanhood has as well. We have this bastardized, twisted version of what it means to be feminine in our culture, right? That if I just get enough guys lusting after me on TikTok, or if I can be seductive enough or manipulative enough with my body, right? That we think that that's what a woman is to be, and that's not what a woman is to be. It is when biblical manhood and womanhood break down. Paul says, heaven is watching. Why is this important? Because the angels are watching. Because God is watching. So men, love your wives. Women, respect your husbands. 
And we must learn and live the Bible's definition of masculinity and femininity, not our culture's twisted version of this. There's a, hold on, there's a wonderful speaker. He passed away in 2020, and it's a real shame because he was a brilliant man. His name was Cy Rogers. If you've never heard of him, he's worth looking up. In the 1970s, Cy Rogers was, was a male prostitute. He was gonna be one of the first person to go through, through transitioning into a woman. Long story short, he got saved. He married a woman. They had kids. They had grandkids. Um, became a huge author and speaker, and he lived in New Zealand. He was a wonderful, wonderful man, a very prolific man. And um, when he would speak, he was, a, he was a very feminine man as far as his, his mannerisms. Um, he was very tall, good looking, always dressed really nice, talked with his hands, kind of had a higher pitched voice. And, and he would even address that in front of crowds. He would say, I know that I appear very feminine. And he says, that's because of your twisted view of what masculinity is. He says, when it comes to biblical masculinity, he says, I teach my kids the way of the Lord. I protect and provide for my wife. I honor God with everything that I do. He said, though I appear feminine to you, I may be the most masculine man in the room. because we have a twisted version of what masculinity is, right? We think masculinity is how much you can bench press and, and how, many, you know, how many chicks you can bang before you get married. And we have this twisted view of this and it's not working. It is not working. It is tearing people apart. So I said that this is gonna offer a lot of clarity, verse 11 and 12. Paul says, men or women, you're not independent of men. And, and men, you're not independent of women. He also says, I love this. He says, though women came from men, Adam, right, in the book of Genesis, he says, every single one of you men since has come from a woman. That both are vital, right? That both roles have to be there. That gender does matter. And whenever this, this conversation of, well, gender is dead or gender is a social construct, if you're a, a zoologist, right, and you're trying to preserve the white Bengal tiger, you can say whatever you want about those two tigers, but if you put two female tigers in a room, that species is going to be extinct. Both are vital. And it reminds us as humans that we should mutually respect both roles. Both roles should mutually uh, submit to each other, right? And love each other because we are both vital. And so let's just get to it. This addresses a great lie that is being perpetuated in our society. The idea of gender right now in this part of the world is in question. And the ramifications of questioning gender goes beyond bio biology. It goes beyond culture. It is a theological problem as well. The reason I say it's a theological problem as well is because again, in Genesis 1 and 2, the Bible says Moses wrote down that God made mankind in his image, male and female. So what does it say about a people, a society that says, well, I know the word of God says this. I know God made it this way, but I'm going to alter this. I'm going to change it. Or that, that we can add new expressions to this. Well, there's no limit to how many genders there are. There is. And this is a theological conundrum. So what we do when we try to alter that is we are putting ourselves into the position of God. And that's what we were doing in our culture right now. Listen, I'm gonna tell you guys a little history lesson. This is not a new thing. If, I don't recommend you Google this, but if you Google statues of hermaphrodites, right? It was a female body with male anatomy that they worshiped 2000 years ago. This is not a new thing. This idea that we are somehow beyond the creator and that we can make new expressions and do uh, whatever we wanna do and that we can be fluid between the two, this is not a new idea, right? It's just perpetuated much greater in our society than it was 2,000 years ago. But they used to worship a God named Hermaphrodites where we get the word hermaphrodite, right? And so this is not a new thing. Paul says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? Again, if you have long hair in here, hold on, I'll explain this. <laughs> but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For if her hair is given to her as a covering, if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. When Paul says, now judge for yourself, he's not saying 
you can take or leave what I'm telling you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, think about what I'm telling you. Consider why we do the things that God tells us to do. Now listen, I think God is spiritual, of course, but I think God is also very logical. I think that because the Bible says that God is not a God of chaos, God is a God of order, of logic, of reason. There's a reason why we do the things we do. If you go back into the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, when it talks about that we should have sex with one partner for life, that's not because God is against sex. Sex is pleasurable, right? Because God designed it that way. The reason why God wants you to be exclusive with one partner is God doesn't want you to have unintended pregnancies. God doesn't want you to have uh, sexually transmitted diseases. God doesn't want the emotional ramifications of, of multiple partners over a long period of time. God wants the best for you. There is logic behind this command to be with one person, right? There is logic behind that. Even if you get into a bunch of the Levitical laws, there was logic behind those things. And so there are times when we follow the word of God, even though we don't fully understand it. But even in those times, we are to, to be pondering and thinking about, I know God has a better plan. I know God is smarter than me. So even if I don't feel like this or understand this, I'm thinking about what I'm doing and I know that God has a better path, a better way. We should understand why we're doing what we're doing. So listen, when you raise your kids and you say, hey, don't do drugs, no drugs. Tell them why you don't do drugs. You don't wanna get in a crash and kill yourself or kill someone else. You don't wanna become an addict and become a complete loser in life. You don't wanna go down these different directions. Tell them why. Let them understand. It's not just about rules. It's about I want what's best for you. It's the same thing with God. So when Paul talks about the length of hair, it's not really about the length of hair. It's less about hair and it's more about how do we display the principles of God in the different cultures we live in. So Paul is essentially telling the Corinthians, it's not how long your hair is that is evil or not evil. In fact, most Jewish men probably had at least shoulder length hair. They would cut their hair typically once a year. They would pull it back and snip it so they had pretty long hair. What he's saying is when we disrespect the cultural norms, when we say, I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do despite how the world thinks about me, right? When we disregard others, we compromise our ability to witness to them and that is sinful. That's what Paul is saying, that we have to fall into some kind of a cultural norm in order to witness to people, to love people, to be the example, to build a rapport with them so we can tell them about Jesus. He is also speaking about gender distinction. He is talking about that. Again, the issue had little to do with hair and it had more to do with men being masculine and women being feminine. The length of hair was just an example in his culture that men need to present themselves as men and women need to present themselves as women. Now listen, this varies from culture to culture, right? And there are men that are sometimes more feminine and there are women who are sometimes more masculine. This, is, this, this varies from culture to culture. What Paul's essentially saying though is embrace who you are. Embrace your gender. Embrace the unique role God has for your gender and do it in a way that honors him and blesses the person you're with. And then Paul says, if you wanna argue with me, we haven't done it any other way. Now he's referring to head coverings. And he was basically saying all the churches that were planted around the Mediterranean, he said, this is the custom that we have in all of our churches, that women wear these head coverings. Now that doesn't carry over to us today because it's not a sign of authority in American culture for you to wear a head covering. The point though goes back to, are we willing to sacrifice freedoms for the sake of respecting other people and for reaching other people, Okay. Let's talk real for a second. And I'm, again, I'm not saying this so you can start an argument with someone that's transgendered or, or questions the idea of gender. That's not why we're saying this. But I do want to be clear. In a time and in an age where people are saying, what is male and female? Or is there more choices than that? The Bible is remarkably clear on gender. That mankind is made in the image of God and that is represented in male and it is represented in female. That's Genesis 1.27. As we go <coughs> into this conversation with maybe friends or colleagues or whatever the case may be, 
this topic and this conversation of gender that we are having right now, especially in the United States, goes far beyond biology. It goes far beyond culture. It goes back to a greater problem. This conversation of gender is like a lot of other conversations we have in our culture. It is a symptom of a much bigger problem. And the much bigger problem is we lack submission to the creator. That is our problem. We lack submission to the creator God. And when we look up and say, we think we can do it better, we have gotten things way out of line. And that's why we have the chaos that we have today in our society. We also have to talk about respect and consideration. Though men and women have unique roles, we learn through the word that we are to mutually submit. Again, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but if all the men in this room or all the men that can hear me on YouTube or wherever people are watching me, if we would love our wives like Christ loves the church, these men who complain, well, my wife doesn't respect me, live in a way that is respectable. Live in a way that is respectable. In the same note, women, if you are talking bad about your husband to other people, you are also not living in your proper lane and you are living in a way that, that is not honoring God. We are to mutually submit. We are to mutually love. We are to mutually respect because we cannot do it without either one of these roles. They are both vital. And this balance and respect not only makes, listen, if you're in this room and you're married and if you're not married, like put this in your, your you know, pocket and keep it for later. If we would just follow Ephesians 5, if every married woman in this room would show your husband respect, and if every married man in this room would love your wife like Christ loves the church, you will have a fantastic relationship. If you just do those two things, right? Not only will you have a fantastic relationship, one of the greatest miracles in American society are healthy marriages. And when the world sees, right, that we love each other, we mutually respect each other, we mutually care for each other, when the world sees that, that is a great example of Christ to the world around us. Respect and consideration. Here's the other thing when it comes to respect. We are to respect cultural norms, of course, without sinning. So if we go to another country or we're at someone's house that is from a different culture, if we are able to minister to them, we have to respect the cultural norms to a point, right? To create a rapport, to not offend them. And in this, it may get us out of our comfort zones. There are things I've had to do in Africa that weren't comfortable, right? But it was culturally normal. I'll tell you just a weird one for me. Again, I'm big on respect. I have two little girls and I'm one of those, like I've become quite the feminist in my day because I've, I'm raising two girls and I think girls can do everything boys can do in the whole nine yards but I'm still old school when it comes to you hold the door open for a woman, right? If you're on a bus and there's no seats and a woman's standing, you get up and say, ma'am, sit here, right? Like, I'm still one of those guys. In Africa, if you go to a 75-year-old woman's house, they sit on the dirt and you sit in a chair. And that is super uncomfortable for me. But if you don't do it, it's disrespectful. It makes me uncomfortable. I don't like that you're sitting in the dirt and that I'm sitting in a chair, right? but that's the cultural norm and you follow it. You just do it because if you don't, you dishonor them and you cannot speak to them about Christ. So sometimes we get out of our comfort zones, we make sacrifices, why? Because I want people to know Jesus. My buddy, David Whetstone that comes here, he does mentor leaders and he talked about when he first went to Togo, Africa, the only way he could get FaceTime with the chief in the area where they were at where they're spreading the gospel is he had to sit down and eat with the chief. And what do they eat? They eat cat brains. So they had to boil a cat, crack open the, the, the cat skull and eat brains. And he's a, he's a vegetarian. And so I was like, it's just extra bad, isn't it? Right? It's not just meat, it's brains. But he did it because he wanted to just pray that you're never put in that situation. What is the point? What is the point about talking about gender? What is the point in talking about the roles of men and women? What is the point in talking about God's design? Why do we care? We care because family and society is imploding in our country. We care because there is a problem and the breaking down of society and family is because men and women, right? Oftentimes, even as Christians, are not living by the design that God has made them to live in. 
This is a problem. The point is that God has placed an emphasis on the leadership of men. Years ago, I had a group of men leave this church because I hired a, a female student pastor. And I was more than happy to say, so long, fellas. Hope you find a good place to land. But I said to them, I said, listen, when more men start serving in the church than women, I'll fire Amanda. It was four years ago and it hasn't happened yet. I love you guys, I love you. But as Christian men, we should be at the tip of the spear when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to provision, when it comes to protection. That's what we are called to do. And the reason society in the United States is falling apart is men are not being biblical men. And you can hate me for that, you can send me something mean, but you can't prove me wrong. You can't prove me wrong. Listen, women are not exempt. There's a lot of women who are not being biblical women. There's a lot of women who have found more value in their looks, right? They, they have manipulated people. They have, they have not lived in a way that honors God. And women, you're to live in a way that is dignifying. You're to live in a way that is honorable. That doesn't mean you can't be strong. Doesn't mean you can't lead. Doesn't mean you can't make a bunch of money or, or have influence or any of those things. You can do all those things and you can still live in a way that honors God. You can still live in a way that holds on to your integrity. We have got to live by the calling that God has given us within our roles. What is the point? The point is our society has become an inconsiderate, disrespectful, and selfish people. We do not care about other people. The Bible says that we are to outdo each other with honor. Do you see that in your society? That we are outdoing each other with honor? I was driving down Thompson Lane the other day. Murfreesboro has turned into a Mad Max film. And so <laughs> I'm driving down Thompson Lane the other day. I dropped off one of my girls from school on Friday. I'm getting on Thompson, going towards like, uh, like Memorial, that direction on Thompson. And where the two lanes merge, I'm in, the, I'm in the correct lane, I'm in the left lane, right? So I'm cruising and I'm the guy, I'll let people over. I didn't see this car next to me because they zipped up and they were in like a nice little luxury car and, and they cut me off and they got so close, they almost hit the front of my car. I drive an old beat up Toyota, so I'm like, you know, whatever. I'm, you're almost kind of hoping for people to hit you at that point. <laughs> and, um, but but she, th th this person cuts me off and I, I honk, not because I'm trying to be rude, but because you, you drive a nice car. I don't want you to mess up your car, right? Hey, you almost hit me. And uh, this young lady's response, I knew she was a young lady. She had her MTSU tag on there, uh, opened up the sunroof and flipped me off, right? And I was just kind of like, okay. So I wanted to make sure you were safe. I wanted to make sure you didn't wreck your car and this is your response. But what a great snapshot of society right now. We are an inconsiderate, disrespectful, selfish, dare say, we have become a silly people, haven't we? This is where we are. And the point is this. The more and more as a society, we try to fashion either ourselves as God or a, a twisted version of a Jesus. The more we try to make a God in our image, the more we continue to fall on our face. Why? Because humanity's design will always fail. It will always fail. Listen, why is all of this important? It's important because your children aren't on the line, your grandchildren are on the line too. It's important because your marriage is on the line. It's important because there are so many people who are confused and there are so many people who are lost and there are so many people who have been lied to. Unfortunately, even in the church, they've been lied to. We have even made church more about the creation of our own comfortable God than we have about the true biblical Christ. And because of that, right? How many documentaries does it take? How many mega churches have to fall? How, many, how much does the church have to shrink in the United States before we get the picture that we have strayed from the teachings of that word and we have made it about us? But hey, Easter is coming up next week and it'll be less about the resurrection of Jesus and more about people parachuting out of helicopters and games and silliness and shenanigans. And we'll see the same results that we've been seeing for the last 30 years. Tanking, 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 tanking. When will the church start having the real conversations? Why is it important? It's important because we're losing right now. Corey, how dare you? How dare me? Look at the facts and figures. 
Right now, I do not see how the church survives in the culture that we have right now. I don't see it. I don't see it. We are struggling. Everything is on the line and we have forgotten. So what are we to do? Everything begins with humility. Everything begins with us recognizing that we don't have it figured out. Everything begins with us saying, I don't have the plan. My ways fail, my ways fall apart. Everything begins with humility. Not just humility with God, humility with each other. I guess I could have young, like, like, driven the young lady off the road. I guess I could have done that the other day. I could have let my emotions get the best of me. I could, have, I could have tailgated her until she got off, right? I could have pulled up next to her and flipped her off and cussed her out or whatever. But you just have to let it go. You just have to be humble in the face of people's arrogance, right? And listen, let me tell you where humility comes from. When we understand who we are in Christ, we don't have to worry about impressing everyone all the time. We don't have to be arrogant people that have to buck up and stand up to people and outsmart you and, and outtalk you. And I don't have to do that when I know who I am in Christ. I can truly live as humble, as a, as a humble person. We must also be praying. I know this is Christianity 101, but listen, we do not pray enough. We do not pray enough. You need to pray every single day. I dare say you need to pray several times every single day. You need to have short, casual conversations with God. You need to have deliberate conversations with God. You need to pray for your children every night. You need to pray for your spouse every night. You need to pray for your neighborhood and your city every day. You need to pray for the leadership of your nation. Well, Corey, I don't like him. I don't care if you like him. You're on the same ship. And how foolish is it to want the captain to go down when you're on the same boat? Pray for your president. I don't care if you've, I, didn't, I have not voted for a winning president ever, not one time. So if you ever wanna know who's gonna win, ask me who I voted for and it'll be the opposite person. <laughs> but even though I've never voted for a winner, I have prayed for every single one. I have prayed for every single one. We need to be praying. We need to be praying a lot. We need to be seeking him first. Listen, we need to examine the fruit of our culture. We keep, our culture keeps telling us that their way is working but there is not one statistic that exists that supports that. Well, we've got it figured out. Then why are you more depressed than you've ever been? Why are you more anxious than you've ever been? Why are we more violent than we've ever been? Why are we more aggressive than we've ever been? If you're saying your tree has the best fruit, but it looks like it's all rotting, I don't wanna plant that seed. I don't wanna eat that fruit. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. Examine the fruit. Listen, not only examine the fruit of culture, examine the fruit of your past choices. I've had several people over the years who say, well, Corey, I don't agree with how you guys do things financially. I've never had a credit card, by the way. I don't, we don't believe in debt. We don't believe in debt at this church. And some people go, well, that's, that's foolish. Well, then why are you in my office asking me for money? <laughs> it's happened many times, right? If you think the way I do it is so dumb, but, but I see the fruit of being debt-free because the Bible says that it's a good thing, right? The debtor is slave to the lender. And then, and, and then I see the fruit of getting into massive amounts of debt. I don't want that fruit, right? We need to examine the choices we make when people keep falling to the same thing over and over again and keep making the same foolish decisions. Why are you doing that? What's the fruit of that? We must learn to be obedient. We must learn to trust the word of God to trust and obey. And listen, we have to get ourselves into a position where we are listening. So often people say, I've never heard the voice of God. It's impossible to hear the voice of God with your AirPods on, watching CNN and Fox, watching Instagram, listening to music while you're driving your car and someone is talking to you. It's no wonder you've never heard God. There's no room for him to get in. There's no avenue for his voice to penetrate your mind. We have, to, we have to cut off those things. Like David said, we have to be still and just know that he's God. We need, to be sh we need to shut up sometimes and just listen. Just listen, just listen. Be quiet. And we must, the first one connects to the last one. We must submit to a loving creator. 
God did not make you and design you because he hated you. God, God does not need us, right? This relationship we have with God, he doesn't really benefit from a relationship with us. We are the ones that benefit. God loves us. God gave his only son as a payment for your forgiveness, for your reconciliation with him. We're about to take communion. Listen, communion is a wonderful reminder. Well, how do I know I can trust God? God gave his son for your salvation. That's how you know you can trust God. God wants what's best for you. God has better plans for you and I, things that we can't even imagine. And so we have to submit to him. And submission, that's become a bad word in our culture, right? Because no one's gonna tell me what to do. But when we submit to the loving creator, we find that we live a life that is more fulfilling than we could have ever imagined. We find out that we find contentment and joy and peace and all the things that the rebellious world is looking for, but they are elusive to them because they fail to submit to the creator. We must submit. God, it's yours. Everything's yours. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Listen, if you are in this room and maybe you're a new believer or maybe you're not even a believer at all, really glad you're here. And I, I hope something today was provocative and sparked your, your interest a little bit. If you're in this room though, and if you have any questions, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Emily is up here. She does all of our hospitality and assimilation. If you would like to ask her any questions, talk to her, um, please, you're welcome to come do that whenever we... Uh, do that invitation. You're welcome to come talk to her. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage that would love to pray with you about anything in your life. Financial situation, health situation, maybe you're struggling with something, whatever. Let's, let someone pray with you. The last thing is all around this room, we have communion. Wherever you see a lamp on a table, there's bread and wine. This symbolizes the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to take communion as long as we have asked God to forgive us of our sins. When you take that today, be reminded, because I bet every single one of us, if we're honest, I bet there's some part of our life that we, that we struggle to relent on, that we struggle to submit to God, if we're being honest. So today, while you're taking that communion, if you've ever been like, God, I don't know if I can let that thing go, God gave his son for us. And that's what communion reminds us of, that even while we were still sinners, we could be saved. Father, Lord, we love you. God, keep your hand on every man in this room, Lord, whether they be a, a, a young man or whether they be married and in their 60s, 70s, 80s, year, 80 year old, I pray that you let us be the men that you've called us to be, God. Not what society thinks is a man, but what you have designed us to be. I pray for every woman in this room, God, that they can live in dignity, Lord, that they can be strong, God, but they can also be humble, Jesus, they, that, that they can be the women that you've designed them to be, whether they be young and single or whether they be elderly, God, and married for 50 years, Lord, that they can be a woman that honors you, God. Lord, I pray that you just keep your hand on our families. I pray that you keep your hand on all of us, Lord. We just desperately need you, God, and we, we need your leadership and your guidance, and we just need to relent and submit to you, Lord, and trust you, Father. We love you. We thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you.